0: Well, welcome, everybody, to what just might be the most dangerous message series we've ever done here at Cedar Creek, because, you know, they say the two things that you are never to talk about in public is religion and politics, right? And so we just decided to talk about both of them at the same time. Not sure how wise an idea that is, but we'll see. No, seriously, what we're doing in this series is we're exploring this intersection Of faith and politics. Because as Christ followers, our our following Jesus, our faith should be lived out in every area of our lives. And so that would include our politics. But if we're not careful, instead of living out our faith in our politics, we can actually end up putting our faith in politics cuz uh, you know unless you've been living in a cave for the last 10 years you've probably noticed an over exaggerated importance of politics in our culture and in our nation this this tendency to look to politics for answers for solutions and so because politics is now the most dominant conversation in our culture today that we are tending to see the events around us through the lens of our political ideology. You know, whether you're talking about a public health crisis or a national disaster or natural disaster, we all now tend to look at those events through the lens of our red colored or blue colored Glasses, And unfortunately, that mindset is beginning to creep into the church, where far too many of us as Christians are allowing our political ideology to be more of a driving force in our lives than our faith. And when we do that, when we allow ourselves to be driven by political ideology rather than our faith in Jesus, two things happen. One The church becomes very divided. We no longer see other Christians from the other side of the political aisle as brothers and sisters in Christ who just have a a different opinion, a different set of life experiences, a different idea of how to solve problems. We now see them as the enemy who must be canceled. You know, as much as we hate the cancel culture and as much as we talk bad about the cancel culture, let's be honest, church, we invented cancel culture, right? I mean, think back over the last 40, 50 years. How many Christian leaders or entertainers have we canceled because of some failure or struggle or issue in their life? I think back back in my day, like Sandy Patty, the singer, Amy Grant others who we cancel them. They're, they're cut off. In fact, we as Christians are the only army that shoot our wounded, right? We just shut them out, kick them out. And so we are becoming way too divided church. And we're allowing politics to do that. Not only does this over influence of politics cause us to be divided, but you know what else it does? It makes us as Christians look just like everybody else. We, just, we look just like the world around us. See, that's what happens when we allow the mission of the church to be co-opted or subjugated by a political party, then we, the church, become just another ideology with our own self-centered agenda. We just want to win an election so we can get what we want because what we want makes us comfortable. That's why I said last week, anytime the church seeks to save a nation or defend its own rights, we've lost our way because our mission, our calling is not in this world. We serve the kingdom of God and it is an eternal kingdom that isn't of this world think about it do we behave politically in a way that represents the savior we claim to follow because jesus lost on purpose for a greater purpose he humbled himself and chose to lose to lay down his own rights for a bigger greater purpose and he's called us as his followers to do the same thing in fact, Jesus made this clear from the very beginning of his public ministry. His, his very first and most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus begins this message by telling us as his followers, we must be different than the world around us. He says we are to be salt and light. What makes salt, salt, and light, light? It is different from everything around us. It is unique. It sticks out. It is noticeable. It's not like everything else. And notice what Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 16. Jesus said, in that same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're not here to win elections or to save a nation. We are here to win people to Jesus. And we do that best, Jesus says, when we're different than the rest of the world and the culture. We want to shine and shine in a good way. And so today to help us do that, I want us to focus on the how. How do you really shine in this dark and broken world that we live in? And to help us do that, we're gonna be looking at the New Testament book of Philippians, Philippians chapter two. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn and click. There. If not, it's okay. We have some uh, message notes that have some fill ins and some of the key verses. You may have picked one up when you came into your campus. Uh, You may not know this. We actually have electronic notes for messages available to you. Did you know that? You can just go to cedarcreekchurch.net forward slash notes. And it'll take you to the message notes. See all the verses, all the fill-ins. There's even space for you to take your own notes that way electronically. And then this is what's cool. When you're done, you can just email it to yourself before you even leave here. And that way you can have it with you all week. That's a cool feature. If you haven't checked it out, I would encourage you to do that. But however you get to Philippians chapter two, you need to recognize that this book is actually a letter written by a man named Paul some 2,000 years ago. We call him the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to a group of early Christ followers who lived in the city called Philippi. Now, Philippi was a very remote city, but it was also a very culturally important city. The city itself was a Greek city. That was the base culture. It had always been a part of Greece. But now, because it was a part of the Roman Empire, there's a heavy Roman political influence in Philippi. There's a strong military presence. There's a strong Roman government presence. And so in the midst of this blending of Greek culture and Roman politics, there's this small group of Christians who are part of a very healthy growing and thriving church, but they are also a very much persecuted church because they're so different than the Greek culture and the Roman politics around them. And so Paul is writing this letter to affirm and encourage all the good things that God is doing in and through their church, but he also addresses a couple of issues that are happening within the church. And the primary issue that Paul wants to address is divisions, divisions within this church. And there are two types of divisions that Paul has to deal with. One of them is a division over the essential truth of the gospel message. See, into this church, a group of Jewish Christians from Jerusalem had come and gotten into this church, and they were telling the Gentile, the non-Jewish Christians, that in order to be saved, they not only had to put their faith in Jesus, but they also had to be circumcised. They had to follow this religious ritual, and Paul addresses that division in a very strong manner. He takes a strong stand against that division. In fact, he says of these flesh mutilators, I just wish they would mutilate themselves, right? That doesn't sound real loving and go along to get along. Why does Paul take a, such a strong stand? Because it's over the core of the gospel that salvation is through Christ alone, faith alone, through grace alone, not by religious works. And so Paul takes a strong stand on that division and says, if they don't change, you got to remove them from the church. But there's a second kind of division that's happening within this church and it's over the non-essential issues. It's over politics and ideology. It's not about the gospel. It's about how they are living and seeing the world around them. And Paul says on that area, quit being divided and be unified. In fact, that's why we here at Cedar Creek Church, one of our core values, on the essentials of our faith, we have unity, but on the non-essentials, we have great freedom. And in all things, we show love. And so that's what Paul's saying. Look, on these gospel core issues, we have to take a strong stand. But all this other peripheral stuff, you just need to let it go and unite over our faith in him. And so... What Paul chooses to do in chapter 2 is address this issue of division over non essential issues. And he does it in an interesting way. He starts by reminding them and therefore us that Jesus was willing to lose in order to truly win. I want you to listen to what Paul writes beginning in verse 5 in this letter. He says, in your relationships with one another, church, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then look at the result of that. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may notice in your particular translation that passage is, is separated from the rest of it. It's indented on both sides. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever wondered why that particular passage is set aside in the printed scripture? It's because most scholars believe that that passage was turned into a worship chorus by the early church that they actually sang that passage as an act of worship, but also to remind themselves that they weren't in it to win it because the kingdom of God comes from serving, not self-serving. And so Paul gives them that backdrop on humbling themselves and being unified. And then starting in verse 12, Paul lays out four practical ways to really shine to really be different in an attractive way to the world around us. And in fact, he says in verse 15, if we'll do these four things, here's the result. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So you want to shine? You want to be different? You want to stick out? You want to draw people to Jesus instead of pushing people away over non-essential political viewpoints? Paul says you got to do four things. Let's jump in. Number one, First thing is, you got to work on yourself first. I have to work on myself first. Have you noticed how easy it is to see all the changes that other people need to make in their life? And how hard it is to see the changes that I need to make in my life? Sure, I think that's one of the reasons politics is so attractive to us because politics is a way to get power, to get other people to do the things you wanna do. For them, make them live the way you want them to live. And politics might be about changing others, but faith is all about changing me, transforming me. That's why Jesus said, quit worrying about the speck in your brother's eye until you deal with the big plank sticking out of your eye, right? And again, Jesus wasn't saying pay no attention to the speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye. He's just saying deal with your own stuff first. Recognize your issues first. By the way, do you know who Jesus was talking to with that part of the story? He was talking to the religious political elite. The Pharisees who were using their own political power to try to make people behave in ways that they weren't willing to behave. They were hypocrites. They put all these rules and regulations and legislation on how everybody else should live and yet they were unwilling to evaluate themselves. Paul puts it this way in verse 12. Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have to start by working on ourselves before we can try to work on everybody else. And we have to continue to work on ourselves. Even when God opens the doors for us to come around and influence through a relationship the faith life of others why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I don't want to be so busy teaching and preaching to you that I forget to work on myself. And you know what I've found? In those instances where I'm actually willing to be humble enough and take an honest look at my own issues, when I do that, it almost always gives me a deeper compassion for the struggles and the issues of the people around me. You wanna shine in this culture? Start by focusing on yourself because can I tell you, this culture is not about making changes ourselves. Our culture is all about trying to change everybody else. Number two, the second thing Paul says I have to do to really shine is you gotta know your ultimate purpose. You gotta know your ultimate purpose. Do you know in the nearly 30 years that Cedar Creek Church has been in existence as a church? Never once in the history of Cedar Creek has this church endorsed a political candidate, a political party, or even a political platform. Why? Because it's not one of the purposes God has given the church. We have five very clear purposes from the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, and not one of them is about making political change. Now, that doesn't mean that you as an individual can engage in the political process. In fact, as I said last week, you are responsible and accountable to engage in the political process because God has shed his grace on this nation. And because unlike most of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who have no opportunity to vote or to have a voice, or to have any influence. God in his grace has given us that gift, and so we are to use it. So what I'm just saying is don't forget that's not your ultimate purpose. As Christ followers, our ultimate purpose is to live out the mission that Jesus has given us. Got to remember what our main purpose is, church. Paul says it this way in verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You are created on purpose for a purpose and that purpose is so much bigger than winning an election or saving a nation. It's about moving an eternal kingdom forward and living in a way and treating others and interacting in a way that moves the kingdom forward, not my personal political preferences forward. I gotta work on myself. I gotta remember what my ultimate purpose is. And then number three, this is gonna be the tough one for all of us. I gotta stop complaining and arguing. You wanna shine? You wanna stick out? You wanna be different? Stop complaining and arguing. Man, these last several years, complaining and arguing has become our new national pastime, right? If you just stopped doing those two things, you would shine. You would stick out. You would be very salty in the world around you. You know, these last couple of years, this global pandemic, this uncertainty and fear that we have walked through as a country has been an amazing opportunity for the church to shine. An amazing opportunity for us as believers to react to that uncertainty different from the way the rest of the world reacts to it. And sadly, I'm not sure we made the most of this opportunity. Because too many of us reacted to the fear and uncertainty in the same way that everybody else does by focusing on myself, by demanding my rights and my way. And I think maybe some of that might have been happening at this church in Philippi. Because look at what Paul says to them in verse 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You see that? Our our best response to the warped and crooked world around us is not to take to the streets and demand our rights or our way. It is to live with peace in spite of the chaos and fear. To live with an inner peace in spite of those circumstances and to live at peace with each other when the world is trying to divide us. I think to really understand what Paul is saying when he tells us to stop grumbling and arguing, we really need to unpack those words, grumble and argue. What, what is Paul really saying? Well, for the word grumble, I looked it up this week, he uses the Greek word "gugismon." It's a verb, a Greek verb, gugasmon, which I love that word, right? It's just a great word. It's what your English teacher in high school would have called an onomatopoeia. It's one of those words that sounds like what it is, like concrete, right? It just sounds like what it is. And doesn't gugamon, That's not that what it sounds like? That's what we sound like, right? In fact, the word literally means to murmur or to mumble. To murmur or to mumble? In other words, griping to myself about all that's going on instead of clearly articulating what the issues or problems are. The word Paul uses for arguing is the Greek word dialogismos. It's where we get the word dialogue, right? A dialogue. But what's interesting, almost every time this verb is used in the New Testament, it's referring to self-talk. A dialogue with yourself. It's the word Jesus used to the Pharisees when the the friends lowered the paralyzed man down through the roof of the house and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, the political religious elite in the back, in their minds, they were saying, who does he think he is to forgive sins? And and Jesus says, why are you dialogismos? Why are you? They didn't say it out loud. He's like, why are you saying this? Why are you having this conversation with yourself? Here, here's my point, and I promise I do have a point. The problem is not reasoned debate with one another over the issues. The problem is sitting back, griping and complaining to ourselves and choosing not to do anything positive or practical to make a difference. Right? So stop gugusmoning when you watch the news. That's their job, by the way. They want you to grumble and get mad. Some of you scream at the television during the evening news. Can I just let you in on a secret? They can't hear you. And even if they could, they're not changing. They have an entertainment-driven process, and they're all about eyeballs. And they know getting us to grumble and complain, it's like we're addicted to it. Break it, turn it off, get in God's word, walk out in the beauty of God's creation and stop googasmoning about the world around you and ask God to show you how you could make a difference in the lives of somebody around you. You want to really shine? You want to point people to Jesus? Start by working on yourself. Never forget what your ultimate purpose on this earth is and stop grumbling and arguing. And then finally, number four, and this is so important because this is the key to being able to do these first three. See, if you could make these first three changes on your own, you'd have changed this a long time ago. We need something greater than ourselves. And so Paul says the fourth thing we gotta do is hold on tightly to Jesus. Hold on tightly to Jesus. We need him to shine, to live differently, to react differently than the world around us. Why? Because these things we're talking about they're not just counter-cultural, they're counter-intuitive. They're counter to our own self-centered human nature. And so notice what Paul says in verse 15 and 16. He says, if you do these four things, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Did you see that? As you hold firmly to the word of life. What does that mean? What is the word of life? That phrase is used throughout scripture to describe Jesus. That's what he's talking about. You remember John's gospel? John tells the story of Jesus' birth by saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul is saying, you want to shine, you want to be different, you got to hold tightly to Jesus and his living word that we have with us. See, living out our faith and counter to the culture we live in, it's not just about the promises and principles and instructions that we find in the Bible. It's about holding on to the author of these promises, these principles and instructions. Because church, too many times we're using the living word of God as a weapon to try to control others, to beat them over the head, to try to get them to do what we want them to do rather than using it as a foundation on which to build our lives that will draw us closer to Jesus, that will allow us to live, live and love differently than the world around us. See, that's why engaging in God's word on a daily basis is so important. It's not just about getting more information about God. It's about being transformed to be more like Jesus. God didn't give us his word just for our information. He gave it to us for our transformation. In fact, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. I learn all this stuff, and I'm better than everybody else, and I'm smarter. than Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Our actions, or maybe I should say more importantly, our reactions, they give us away, church. They show to the people around us what our lives are truly built on. Our reactions show what our faith and hope is truly placed in. That's why Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by how much Bible you know. The world will know you're my disciples by how much you rant and rave on Facebook about how people ought to put God back in their lives. No. Jesus said, the world will know you are mine by your love, the way that you love each other. So can I just ask you a question? When you watch the news, when you see the turmoil online, the chaos, when you have that feeling that you're losing control and that our nation is falling apart, what's your response? How do you respond to that? In anger, scream at the TV, or post hurtful, divisive things online? Do you just sit back and grumble and complain and gugusmon without doing anything about it? Do you choose to argue with those on the other side of the political aisle? Or do you allow that fear, that chaos, to call you to a deeper love for Jesus and a deeper love for the people around us? Does the chaos call you to compassion or to complain? The Bible said one day Jesus was on a hill looking over the city of Jerusalem and he saw in his community the same things we're seeing in ours. People were divided. They were angry. They had let go of following God and they were trying to fill the void in their life with the stuff of the world. And Jesus said when he looked at this crowd, he didn't say take to the streets and change the politics of Rome. You know what the Bible says he did? He had compassion on the crowd because they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it was that compassion that allowed him to become the ultimate good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. What do you see when you see the crowds? Does it call you to a sacrificial Love to lose on purpose for a greater purpose to help hurting, broken, struggling people just like all of us find the hope, the forgiveness and the freedom of our Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for stepping on my toes, for challenging me with this truth. And Father, I confess for me and I think for these people that I love so much who call Cedar Creek Church home, I think we recognize we cannot do this on our own. We need you and your power and your spirit. We need each other to walk with each other We need those who challenge and encourage us. We need those who love us and sit and cry with us in our pain. So Father, would you call your church named Cedar Creek to shine in this world around us? Would we be a place where people see, not a great church full of great people, but would we be seen by the world around us is a church full of broken, hurting, and struggling people who are living in the power of the resurrection of the King of Kings, whose kingdom transcends everything on this earth. Father, we need your strength to live that way. So call us to shine like stars in this warped and crooked generation. It's in your name I pray, amen.